Welcome to Stuff from the Science Lab from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey guys, and welcome to the podcast. This is Alice Lattermilk, the science editor at HowStuffWorks.com. This is Robert Lamb, science writer at HowStuffWorks.com. Today we're talking about post-traumatic stress disorder and Tetris. Yeah, this is one of the, maybe the only video game that me and you can actually uh, bond over. Yeah, I'm not much of a gamer, but you are? Uh, well, I'm not as, certainly not as much as a lot of people I know, but I, I enjoy playing, uh, you know, stuff like Fallout 3, things of that nature, you know. Generally, I'm more like I'll play a few games a year and get in, really get into maybe one or two games a year. So you have played Tetris? Oh, then. yeah, yeah. Back in, uh, I guess junior, I think, yeah, I had it on like the original, uh, NES. Um, and, uh, like my whole family would play it. And then we would just walk around the house, just seeing blocks move around in our head, you know, <laughs> dreaming at night. Um, and then I had it for, I think I had it for PS2 as well, but, uh, I never got in, didn't really get into it as much for that. Cause, you know, they, they it's not a, I mean, it's an awesome game. But there's only so much you can do to it to revamp it. You know, right, you the can, blocks falling down, yeah. reorganizing them into neat little rows. Now, there was a really cool uh, Monty Python version of it um, that came out for PC where, um, you know, it's like the bring out your dead. So each block was a um, like a dead medieval peasant uh, <laughs> bent into a certain shape and they would fall down into this uh, big mass grave and you would move them around and they make these squishy noises when they they lock into place. That was pretty awesome. I played a ton of Tetris my senior year of college when my uh, thesis was due. Yeah. I just remember thinking about the thesis and then thinking, well, I think I'm just going to play a little Tetris instead on Carolyn, my roommate's computer. And I played a lot of Tetris, so much so that I actually jumped about it. Wow. Were you afraid that you would turn in your paper and you'd be like, whew, got that done, and you get it back and be an F, and you look at it, and all you did was just draw Tetris blocks <laughs> for like 30 pages? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I I wasn't thinking too much about my academics that uh, at that point in my life. Although I should have been. So Tetris has a use outside of the gaming world and keeping us occupied. Um, a bunch of Oxford researchers have postulated that uh, Tetris might be useful for treating post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, this is pretty exciting. Um, post-traumatic stress disorder, for those of you who don't know, is a disorder that arises in the wake of a traumatic experience. This could be, um, you know, a combat situation in a war. It could be um, experiencing some sort of violence. It could be uh, being in a car wreck. It could be even like just being being diagnosed with a um, a, a really severe illness, a life threatening illness. Yeah. yeah, and children can experience PTSD as well. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you can also get it from just seeing, like if you just see it, a traumatic car accident. You know, or or, or think about something like nine eleven. You, I mean, yeah. you didn't, you saw it, right? And a lot of, or maybe you were acting in a rescue capacity post nine eleven. Yeah. But even if you just saw it, uh, you know, on the TV, I mean, or just, you know, heard about it, you can still, you know, develop uh, uh, the same disorder. And if you develop PTSD, your response to the event, um, according to the the Mental Health Bible, the DSM-4, is going to involve some sort of intense fear or helplessness or horror. Um, and in children, this tends to manifest itself uh, in disorganized or agitated behavior. Mm-hmm. And the characteristic symptoms of PTSD are, are probably ones which, with which you're familiar. Um, the hallmark one being flashbacks. Right. Yeah. This is the, you know, it, we, we've seen, everybody's seen this in a movie or something. Uh, you know, you'll have like, like the great, the classic example is you have like a Vietnam vet or maybe he's an Iraqi vet or, you know, or Afghanistan, uh, 
uh, vet. And, uh, you know, he comes back home. He's in like just a normal grocery store ride. He's going around his business. He's, he's picking out the, the groceries and then somebody drops a can of soup. Here's a loud noise. And then he's, he, he's suddenly, he's back in the war again. You know, he's, he's falling to the ground and thinks, you know, thinks he has to grab for his gun, that kind of uh, situation. A flashback is a seriously intense experience. I mean, you, you're there, you're reliving the moment. It's not just like, oh, hey man, I had a flashback when I saw that guy. It totally reminded me of the 1980s. I mean, a flashback in this sense, in the psychological sense, is a, is a dissociative state. You're, mm-hmm. you're not present. It's fully sensory. It's, you're gone. Yeah. So um, if you have these symptoms, they have to be present for more than a month for you in order for you to be diagnosed with PTSD. Yeah, it's it's not the same if you say, like, you see a pretty shocking horror movie and you're like, in you know, for a week, you're like, man, that was, you know, keep, the scene keeps running over in your mind. Because I've had that happen before. Uh, yeah, me too. But thankfully it goes away and you forget that you ever saw that movie. Yeah, the CDC actually calls that, would probably call that a stress reaction. Um, and it's just something immediately following a traumatic event. But this... We'll go, uh, we'll go away within 10 days. Yeah. Um, whereas. And then you just watch Total Recall again and it, <laughs> and it happens all over. Right. So PTSD tends to stick around longer for that and it impairs your life. It impairs your ability to do your job, your ability to interact with family and friends. And of course, this has been in the news a lot, uh, last several years because we've, uh, uh, in, in the States, we've been uh, kind of at war for the last several years. So we have a, uh, a lot of uh, troops going overseas, encountering violent, traumatic situations, and then coming back home and trying to readjust. Mental health is becoming more and more of a priority, so uh, we're trying to tackle these problems and uh, treat them clinically. So according to the Associated Press, there's a $50 million five-year study that the Army is conducting, and the, the Army is doing this in concert with the National Institute of Mental Health. And the idea is uh, to give commanders in the Army um, a better idea of the troops' mental health. And then there's the other fact that, you know, suicide or, uh, you know, a returning vet who, who winds up killing himself or killing somebody else is going to draw attention. It's going to draw our attention to the problem. It's going to grab media headlines. Yeah, and it's not the kind of thing you want in a recruitment brochure, you know, join the army, uh, be screwed up for life. So we should emphasize that prevalence rates of PTSD among returning service members, you know, really run the gamut. Um, I saw one fact sheet that estimated, you know, that saw uh, prevalence rates of as low as 1% among returning service members and as high as 60%. And there's also the problem of PTSD kind of being a big tent to, you know, to fall under, to diagnose. Does it manifest itself the same way with, uh, with every, um, patient, correct? Right. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's such a number of reactions that can cause somebody to develop PTSD. So it's, it's just a very sort of wide disorder at yeah. this point. The good news is that we actually have some some good treatments for full-blown PTSD. One thing to keep in mind with post-traumatic stress disorder is that it's kind of like getting a stain on a garment, all right? Like, you're, say you're at a party, right, and you're drinking grape juice, like we all drink at parties, and you, you spill it on, like, your white blouse or whatever. Um, Are you wearing a white blouse at parties? Yeah, I frequently go to grape juice drinking parties, <laughs> and, and I, I foolishly always wear my best white blouse. But... um. But yeah, so like you, you spill grape juice on this, uh, this garment, right? Right. Um, most of our treatment methods that we have are aimed at like the next day where you're like, oh, I got grape juice on my blouse. It's that stain really seeped in. What can I do to try and get it out? As opposed to, oops, I just spilled grape juice on my, uh, my blouse. Who has some soda water? Who has something? What can I do to sub this up before it spreads? Right. So to continue Robert's sort of odd analogy. That's what I'm here for, odd analogy. Let's talk about the, the, the scenario in which the, the grape juice uh, has already, you know, stained your shirt and you're, you know, it's full blown. Mm-hmm. This is when we're looking to treat full blown PTSD. 
Uh, yeah, one method we have, and this is the most uh, the most validated, is a cognitive behavioral therapy uh, with some sort of exposure component, and this can fall under under in this can fall under two categories, either like real life exposure or imaginary. Um, like say you get um, like one example of of real well yeah one example of like a real life situation would uh, be uh, there was a recent episode of This American Life about a guy who came back from uh, uh, from Iraq uh, he's a vet he's going to college right he's a U.S. And, vet yeah he's a U.S. vet mm-hmm. going to college and he had just become he had just had this uh, post traumatic stress reaction to being around anybody who looked like they might be an Iraqi. Um, and of course, he's at a college, so there are there are a number of of students that are either you know of Iraqi descent or Middle Eastern descent, and he would see these uh, these people, and he would just start freaking out a little. You know, he'd start shivering and thinking about ways to like eliminate them. Um, he chose, and it, I think it should be stressed, this was against the advice of his uh, uh, of the of the uh, the guy treating him uh, at the time, was that he was going to join the uh, college's Muslim Student Association. Oh goodness! Yeah, so that's very much a, a real life. Um, exposure. exposure, you know, and, and a very drastic one. And it, and, and that's, an unconventional one. Yes, and unconventional. And it, it, uh, based on the, uh, the story, um, it turned out rather well for him. He was able to, to really grow from that. Um, an example of a, um, of an imaginary one would be if your therapist, like, brings you through, like, a thought exercise, you know, like, talks you through an imagined, uh, scenario. Or, um, you were to engage in some sort of, like, a virtual reality treatment where, uh, you know, you say you 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 have uh, post traumatic stress from a combat situation. Okay. If you played a video game that was tailored to uh, to simulate that uh, that same situation over again. So this is this is a pretty good way to treat PTSD for mm-hmm. for people out there affected by it. And then there's another one, and this one uh, may sound a little fringy, but um, it's also gained pretty widespread acceptance. Mm-hmm. And it's called EMDR, and the EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing. Um, the originator was somebody by the name of Francine Shapiro back in 1989. So this is a relatively new therapy. Mm-hmm. And it's similar um, to the cognitive behavioral therapy in that you might find yourself talking through your traumatic event. But the difference is while you're talking through this traumatic event with a therapist who's um, qualified in this particular kind of treatment, EMDR, your eye is going to be moving uh, bilaterally. It's going to be tracking this light. Or you may find yourself um, hearing audio tones or, uh, in fact, um, feeling something like a kind of tapping sensation on your palm. So you're feeling all these external stimuli in addition to, you know, talking about the traumatic event with your therapist. And the idea behind this kind of therapy is that EMDR stimulates the brain's hemispheres and it helps your nervous system reorganize those memories. Um, you're probably not going to just do it in one session, though. It's more, yeah, more of a process. Like, I'm going to go in for my uh, EMDR session today. It's really interesting to watch. I, I would think it would be distracting. It, it actually sounds a little bit like a video game. It does, yeah. Watching lights move back and forth, uh, something sort of vibrating in your hands, maybe. I mean, that's, yeah. So like Robert was saying, these are treatments that we'd use um, on somebody who's already experiencing the symptoms of full-blown PTSD. But there are um, early interventions or sort of quick ways to prevent um, PTSD from developing, yeah, these or are at the, least reduce the incidence of flashbacks. Yeah, these are the this is the sopping up the grape juice before it spreads method, um, and one of those is to use morphine. Yeah, um, which uh, uh, has been used in combat with combat casualties. Uh, you know, some situations where uh, uh, you know you're having to uh, to treat some uh, 
some injury as well. Yeah, there was a big study on it just recently in 2010 in the New England Journal of Medicine. And basically, you had a bunch of guys from the Navy reporting that prompt treatment with morphine cut in half the chances that troops would develop symptoms of PTSD later on. Of course, it also cuts into your ability to remember what exactly happened in some cases, which can be detrimental if you, say, need to testify in court about what happened. So that's that's one big downside. The other, of course, being that they're giving you morphine. So, you know, there are plenty of tales of people coming back from, you know, from uh, from, from the war and they're hooked on morphine. You know, there's a whole song, uh, Sam Stone by, I think, John Prine. Sing it. There's a hole in daddy's arm where all the money goes, etc. It's like really sad. It's about a guy who comes back, a no, little that kid. That sounds like a nice song. I mean, uh, not a nice song, but a, <laughs> it's a, a good really, song. It's a really, it's a good song, but it's like the saddest song ever because it's about the guy who comes back from the war, hooked on morphine, and just slowly just kind of goes crazy, and his kid, and the kid has to watch him. But oh wow! Lose his mind, Robert. You have a good uh, voice. Well, yeah. Well, I, but anyway, it's a sad song. Look it up. I'm sure it's on like YouTube or something. So that's kind of the morphine route, and the downfalls being, right, impaired mm-hmm. memory, stuff like that. Now, what about this Tetris? We've been talking a little bit about I know. There's not a song about, like, people coming back from the war hooked on Tetris. So you know this is there's some possibility here. But how does it work, right? So this comes to us courtesy of a study published in January 2009 in a PLOS1, the journal. So what the University of Oxford researchers did was they recruited 40 participants, and they split them into two groups of 20. And all of the participants watched this 12-minute, pretty violent film. Like a faces of death kind of deal, right? Right. Pretty disturbing scenes of injury and death. And then everyone, all 40 participants, sat idle for this 30-minute structured break. You know, maybe they filled out some paperwork. um, And they were actually shown short clips of the film just to reinforce what they'd seen. Just to drive it home. (laughs) That sounds terrible. I can't imagine participating in an experiment like that. I, I remember all sorts of bad stuff that I see in movies for a long, 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 long time. So I don't think this would be the experiment for me. So after this 30 minutes was up, um, 20 of the people sat idle. You know, they just kind of sat there and pondered that really terrible movie or Mm -hmm. whatever they pondered, but I'm imagining they probably pondered this movie. And the other 20 played Tetris for 10 minutes. Well, I know which group I would want to be a part of. I absolutely know which group I would want to be part of, Tetris. So why did they suggest Tetris? What's the deal behind playing Tetris after you see something traumatic? Why would they possibly do that? Well, it comes back to the um, it comes back to what we were talking about earlier about how you play a bunch of Tetris and you start seeing the you see the blocks when you're walking around or you dream, you dream the blocks falling through space, and that's because Tetris uh, has been demonstrated to be a visual spatial task. It draws on mental rotation and the type of processing we recruit when forming mental images. That's key because there are two ways that we form memories. Okay. There's the sensory perceptual processing of the trauma, all right? These are the sights and sounds experienced during, you know, um, in this violent encounter, this car wreck, etc. Okay? And then there's the verbal or conceptual processing where you make sense of it. You turn it into a story, my story. So right. it's not just like you crash, ah, blam, blam. It's like, oh, my God, I was in a car wreck. I could have died. That guy totally wasn't thinking about what he was doing. And, like, that's where you form that story, all right? And this is happening immediately after the traumatic event, right? Mm-hmm. But what if something were competing for that memory-making function? What if you were, say, playing Tetris, which is also competing for those visual-spatial resources, and your brain can only execute on so many things at once? 
All right, here's an experiment for everybody if you want to test this. Tonight, when uh, that special somebody in your life is uh, is telling you about their day, try playing Tetris at the same time and see what happens. Um, it, you're going to probably find that it's really hard to uh, pay attention and or remember what they're telling you. Yeah, so that's it on a basic level is that your your brain has a limited capacity to um, make memories of this traumatic event um, and or play Tetris. And mm-hmm. if you're actively playing Tetris, chances are it's going to devote its resources to Tetris. And this is what the researchers hypothesized and, in fact, was proven true among the 40 participants. Mm-hmm. So what the researchers found was that um, after watching this film, they tracked the um, – participants for a week, and in the group that played Tetris, um, there was a reduced incidence of flashbacks, while in the group that sat quietly, you know, pondering that horrible film, they had a higher number of uh, flashbacks that they experienced. Wow. So it, it sounds like this could really be a tool in the future for, for immediately treating uh, people who are in a traumatic situation. Ambulance arrives on the scene, guy's a little freaked out, get, a, get him a Game Boy. Fire up the Tetris. Well, it's interesting you say that because the 30-minute time period, you probably wonder, like, why did they choose 30 minutes for, Mm -hmm. you know, to play Tetris? Because the researchers figured out that the average time spent waiting in an emergency room is, in fact, 30 minutes. Oh, really? Okay. So what if they could get in there before, you know, the emergency room folks could, you know, get to the problem? Right. Or free Tetris for everybody in the emergency room. Yeah, I mean, I love Tetris. I used to have it on my my phone. Yeah, I'm thinking about downloading it for, for my phone. If I have a really bad day now, I might play a game of Tetris. Yeah. So that's uh, PTSD and Tetris, uh, but what about other video games? Oh, right. You wrote that article about, um, you know, smokers and... Oh, yeah, yeah. I wrote a, an article for um, Discovery News uh, a few months back, and it was about an interesting uh, study out of Canada um, where, um, you know, like we were saying earlier, one way to, to get over your, uh, your stress situation um, uh, from a combat uh, environment is to put you in a video game that puts you in a combat situation. Well, these guys basically took the same type of video game, like a first-person shooter, except instead of a gun, you have a little hand. Instead of enemies, you have floating cigarettes. Right. And so they had a whole bunch of fairly heavy smokers, uh, and they did the same deal where they had one group that was in control, one group that was the experimental. And they all came in, and they did a bunch of, like, let's talk about our addiction kind of thing, and, you know, we're going to you know rally together to, to beat our addictions. And then one group went and did uh, one thing, and I think played some sort of a game that was unrelated. And then the other group... Like Monopoly? <laughs> yeah. And then they ended up killing each other because it's Monopoly, and it's a horrible, frustrating game. But no, and then the other group... Uh, and they weren't smoking, so they're even more irritable. But no, but then the other, the other group, the experimental group, uh, they would play this game where the hand crushes the cigarettes. And they found that the people who, um, the, the group that, the group that crushed the cigarettes had more, uh, long-term, uh, success, uh, overcoming their addiction than the other group. Oh, but the interesting part is that, um, some of the people who played the video game, um, they actually visualized themselves collecting or yeah. hoarding the cigarettes. And so. it didn't work on those guys. Yeah. 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 They were just trying to, you know, get more smokes. Yeah. So that was a fascinating, uh, study as well. Yeah, so we ask around uh, some of our coworkers about uh, their experiences with games uh, having a therapeutic effect uh, on them, and we actually found several people. Um, the main game people mentioned was Tetris. So, if you have any suggestions, comments, questions, just shoot us an email at science stuff at howstuffworks dot com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks dot com. Want more How Stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. <laughs>